0: I'm Sherry Dunleavy, your inspirationista, host, and a grieving mom. Welcome to the Grief Anonymous podcast. Grief is a journey, and I'm 20 years into mine. No matter where you are in yours, I hope you'll join me as I provide you with information, tools, and experts to help guide you through the darkness of death into the light of living. Help is on the way. Ronnie Walker is my guest today on the Grief Anonymous podcast and she is from the Alliance of Hope. Actually, I'm speaking with Ronnie right now. I am in Wheeling, West Virginia. She is in beautiful Hawaii. Welcome to you, Ronnie. Thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. I live on Kauai in
0: Hawaii. That's a wonderful, wonderful place to be right now. So, um, For our listeners, uh, I really wanted to have you as a part of this podcast because I think that what you're doing is going to be helping so many people because we are seeing suicide rates um, increase. So the Alliance of Hope, tell everyone what it is.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, our whole name is Alliance of Hope for Suicide Loss Survivors. So we provide grief support for people who are left behind after someone ends their life. And we deal with people, we provide support for people who are you know, living through the unimaginable. They are dealing with very debilitating emotions, devastating grief. Uh, it's a traumatic and it's a complicated grief. So that's what we do. We provide support for that segment of the population.
0: And you founded this organization, correct? I did.
1: I founded it uh, 12 years ago. Okay. Maybe a little more.
0: (laughs) Okay. So do you mind sharing your story with us?
1: Oh, no. Uh, I lost a stepson. My family lost uh, young Chan, who was 21 years old. Um, And this was 25 years ago. Uh, Chan was a really brilliant young man. And he had developed bipolar disorder, which is a genetic disorder in his case. Um, He developed it at 16. He fought valiantly really to deal with the mood swings for about five years. He was a junior at Stanford University when he ended his life. He had fallen into really a debilitating depression. Mm And um, he ended his life. And it was so devastating for everyone. Uh, he was a wonderful human being, fighting um, just uh, such a strong illness. And um, it, it was like a grenade went off in my family. I was a counselor. I'm a clinical uh, counselor, uh, mental health counselor. Um, I, there was nothing that had ever prepared me for the loss, for that kind of loss. I had gone through other losses before, but I really didn't know what happened, so I had no life experience and I had no training as a mental health professional to deal with what had happened, the degree to which everyone in my family was wounded and struggling to survive.
0: I think probably a lot of people too were looking to you for guidance of what to do. Would, would that be correct? Because you are a counselor.
1: Um, <laughs> It's so funny. I've never been asked that question before. I don't know that anybody was really, because they're my family, you know, they're doing their thing. So I don't know that anyone was really looking to me at the time. I think when he was ill and he had multiple hospitalizations, there were some times that I stepped in simply because I knew something as a mental health counselor and I i might have interacted with the hospital during the hospitalization that kind of thing but for the most part no my family i had to really realize that each person was profoundly i didn't have the word traumatized at the time i just didn't know what it was but profoundly wounded and struggling to survive and they were each struggling in their own way so i had one daughter who just slept all the time she just she just would sleep i had another daughter who entered counseling. My husband was just holding up in a hotel, working and just, he couldn't even, he was just so deeply wounded. He couldn't, uh, you know, he could, I don't know, barely have a conversation. So it was, I didn't know, there was the loss of Chan and then there's the loss of life as one has known it to be. So to answer your question, I don't think anyone at the time looked to me for wisdom.
0: Well, the only reason I ask that is when I do talks. Um, I had a counselor a school counselor tell me that he that my talks needed to be in the schools because anytime something tragic happens in the schools, everyone looks to the counselors and oh, a lot of times yes. they 're not equipped. You know to handle some of those things, so that's why that's where that question came from. But but let's yeah. not even talk about the council. Wait, wait, wait.
1: Can I just can I just build on that for one minute? Sure. Because sure. There, there there is something that I see because uh, these days the Alliance of Hope hosts a forum, and there are over seventeen and a half thousand suicide loss survivors on that forum. And one of the things that people frequently write about is the fact that after they've lost a spouse or a child, other people will come up to them as if they have some special knowledge in the realm of suicide prevention. And say, oh, my my daughter is having trouble. Can you <laughs> provide words of advice about what we would do? And, and it's very hard on the loss survivors when that happens. They don't really see themselves just because they've lost someone to suicide doesn't mean they're an authority on suicide prevention.
0: Oh, um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so tell me then your whole family is grieving in different ways. It's totally complicated. It's the loss of your son. It's the loss of life as you all have known it. How did this organization come to be as a result of that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And just to clarify, it was my stepson.
0: stepson. It was
1: stepson, a, it yes. was a se- second marriage. Yes. Um, well, it, so that he ended his life in 1995 and uh, I wanted nothing to... I was a director in a child welfare agency. I wanted nothing at all to do with suicide or anyone who was suicidal. I was just trying to get through two hours at a time. And as the years went by, I just felt called and I began to Uh, train myself in EMDR and uh, trauma, treating trauma. I began to volunteer for the Red Cross. I was hired by the United States government and deployed a number of times uh, in Hurricane Katrina to work with people. So something just pulled me into working with very traumatized people. I began to lead support groups for Catholic Charities' Suicide Loss Programme. Uh, In Chicago, I worked as a mental health clinician for them. This is Mm -hmm. about probably seven, eight years after Chandai, died. And and at that time, as I began to look, there was not a lot on the web. And what there was was permeated with the, you know, in, in the culture that existed at the time, the predominant conversation was you never get over it. You just learn to live with it. You've joined the club that no one wants to belong to. And in so many ways, that's true. If you lose somebody who's so dear to you, the fabric of your heart is torn, the fabric of a family. And there can be a case made for you never get over it. But when I looked at that, I thought to myself, there's not a lot of possibility in that conversation. Why not generate something else and shift that to forever altered, able to survive? and even eventually go beyond just surviving, to have happy, meaningful, and contributory lives. And so I don't really know what happened. It felt like the universe just tapped me on the shoulder. I sat down I created a website. And that conversation of being forever altered and having hope, uh, along with a lot of information, was woven into that first website, whether it was visually through the Photographs that we were using mm-hmm. or through the uh, through the copy on the website uh, And I added a community forum and I didn't know if anyone would come mm-hmm. When it was launched 12 years ago, I think I launched it on February 14th That which was just coincidental at the time. I don't think I even realized it um, When I launched it, I didn't really know if anyone would come we were number 10,000 in a Google search mm-hmm. And I think the first person may have been from Australia and then somebody from New Zealand and some Canada and United States. So someone would join every few days. Um, These days we have 10 new lost survivors joining our forum every day. And um, the statistics are, are very big. We get hundreds and hundreds of messages every year from people who call that forum their lifeline or say that it saved their life. We actually did a controlled content analysis, studying the words that people used when they left reviews, and they spontaneously said that it was their lifeline. Um, So that's what we do. We run a clinically moderated community forum. We have probably about 35 to 40 trained volunteers, different tiers of volunteers supervising the (laughs) forum it operates like a 24-7 support group Mm -hmm. and um and is supervised by a mental health clinician and so we're able to reach out across distance and across time and people who don't have access to other support or specialized support can connect and it pierces through the isolation
0: that sounds like it's a, it's a beautiful thing that you have created. And I like how you have implemented the message of hope and the message that you can still live a fulfilling life and, and even maybe even joyful, a joy-filled life after something so tragic has happened. Um, but sometimes when you're so new to this grief, it seems unimaginable. mm mm-hmm.
1: Yes, very much so. If somebody had said those words to me in the beginning, I probably would have wanted to slap them or kick them or just walk away because I would think they have no idea. You know, mm-hmm. the, the pain in the beginning is so profound. In the initial after, first of all, there's not been a lot of research done on suicide loss survivors. Just in recent years, some of the funding has gone towards that. But... Also, another thing that I was seeing way back 12 years ago and even more recently was that the, the researchers were studying a lot about how to prevent suicide. They were looking mm-hmm. for a gene or a chromosome or studying select groups. But there wasn't a lot of support for lost survivors. That's written from a grassroots movement of lost survivors creating groups for other lost survivors. So, I just felt there was a void that we needed to create to create something. Um, one of the things that surprised me after I launched the forum were the number of people who were suicide loss survivors who had just lost a son or a, a 15-year-old daughter or their husband or there were people who came on who said my husband just shot himself in front of me. There was one woman oh. who said that while she was holding her baby. There were Things, you know, coming from all over the place and so many people were hanging on by a thread. They were suicidal themselves. So we see a lot of suicidal people on our forum. That was exactly what I never wanted to have to work with. I thought I could do But the people that we see are generally high functioning people who've been brought to their knees. Mm-hmm. And so now we know because there has been some research done in recent years that in the initial aftermath, those closest are almost 10 times more likely to have suicidal thoughts. <laughs> so I what
0: husband- would you suggest then that the people who love them, how how do we help them?
1: Well, I just want to clarify that they'll have suicidal thoughts. It doesn't mean that they're going to attempt because mm-hmm. I don't want
0: to right, scare, right.
1: scare everybody. Um, and, and we have, and I have other statistics that I'll give you as okay. well. Uh, let me just give you another statistic to just kind of broaden the picture. Uh, there's some really good research done on a very large sample of 3,400 people in England, which compared sudden loss survivors to suicide loss survivors. So mm-hmm. sudden loss survivors being someone who's lost someone to a car accident or a heart attack, just a sudden loss mm-hmm. compared to suicide loss. In comparison, the suicide loss survivors are 80% more likely to leave their job or drop out of school, and 64% more likely to attempt suicide than the sudden loss survivors. So it gives you a little bit of an, you know, opens the door a little bit to our understanding. This is a profound, traumatic, complicated grief. a lot of people have found the bodies of their loved ones if they haven't they've imagined it mm-hmm. uh, and in the beginning the emotions are all over the place we call it a roller coaster of emotions i used to call it a wheel of fortune of emotions mm-hmm. i never knew what i'd be feeling so generalized anxiety generalized anger uh a profound despair depression inability to focus people have to read and reread we have some people who say it took five years before they could finish a book that kind Mm -hmm. of thing so people are going through that's what they're going through and with regard to your question about how do you support somebody like that with kindness you know we we the first and foremost on our forum it's a culture of kindness Mm -hmm. and respect and appreciation and acknowledgement And so on our forum, we do several things that other people can do as well. Mm -hmm. We Provide information that may be of help. So if somebody is grieving and new to loss, when I was new to loss, somebody dropped a newsletter to the local support group off at my house. I didn't even know it. It was a stranger they had heard. Mm -hmm. But eventually, three weeks later, I called the number on this newsletter that they dropped off. So information you know like maybe you can get some support here um uh, bearing witness to people's stories without judging or recoiling now that's not Mm -hmm. something you can do but survivors need to talk without being judged and without having their loved one being judged uh the third thing is providing hope providing hope for going beyond just surviving but i think for the average person who has a friend (laughs) A neighbor who has lost someone to suicide, uh, simply being there, dropping off a a batch of brownies, uh, sending a card, sending a card every month Mm -hmm. or a year or two years, calling them up and saying, hi, how are you doing? And then they say whatever they say, and you talk about whatever they want to talk about. And if you don't want to talk, if they don't want to talk, then that's fine too call them again and just say hi I'm thinking about you or send you a card
0: absolutely I think that that is that is great advice it's it's what I wrote about in in my book is is just show up and support in the best way that you can but I like how you said you know without judgment but without recoiling because sometimes we say I don't want to make them cry but we don't want to you're not making them cry first of all and the second thing is is that it's making you uncomfortable, not the person crying <laughs> and yes. that, you know, but, but there's sometimes a stigma that's attached to suicide. And so I, th- I would imagine that there, especially those who are survivors of someone they lost from suicide, a lot of people back out of their lives because They're afraid. They're so afraid to even approach this subject, approach this kind of grief, um, even, even talk about it, you know, or let them talk about it. Would you find that to be accurate? Yes. I recall a support group where
1: one woman came whose husband was prominent in their small suburb and she said that she could clear a grocery aisle faster than you could imagine. And people would see her coming and they would go to another aisle because they didn't know what to say. So So sometimes it does happen, yes.
0: And that's that's, that's just so incredibly sad. So do you have any other statistics um, that you would like to share with us?
1: Yeah, can I just back up a little bit on on what you just brought up? Sure. Um, I think I think for the most part, people are extremely kind and caring, and there's a sense of, I don't know what to say to somebody. And uh, I recall a a suburb where a police chief's son ended his life with his father's gun. He was about 15 or 16, and everyone knew him in in the community, the community employees, they'd watched him grow up. And I was doing a crisis debriefing for the community employees. And a couple of people raised their hands and said, well, I see the chief every morning. We drive up around the same time. We cross the parking lot. But I don't know what to say to him because I don't want to say anything. This was about a week or two after his mm-hmm. son died. I don't want to remind him that his son died.
0: <laughs> so, you don't have to, <laughs> he knows. <laughs> right, right. And so <laughs> it's,
1: it's, that, it's that concern You know, so many times people are concerned and they just, they care. So I think just letting people know you care, even if there's nothing more you can say than I'm just so sorry. I think about you all the time. I'm sending prayers. I, you know, if you say that rather than say nothing. Yeah, so I just want to revisit that. Right. Thank you.
0: Just even even a look um, of, of a connection, I remember one time after my son died, and I had ventured out of the house and I just went down to a local pizza shop but this pizza shop that I went to is very crowded. You have to wait for your number to be called and um and I just remember the owner taking the box of pizza, looking at me, giving me a wink as uh, you know sort of as you know I understand I'm so sorry, and he just handed me the pizza and told me to, to just take it. You know what I mean? He didn't really say anything, but I knew what he was. He was saying volumes. He was saying volumes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't have to say anything to speak volumes.
1: Yeah, it, it it means the world. I think we need each other to heal. It brings tears to my eyes to, to hear that because I recall another story vividly that happened 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. I came home from work in the dark November. I was getting more and more depressed. My everything was out seemed like it was out of control. My stepson had died in August and it was already November and cold, getting cold in the Chicago area. And I came in the back door and there was a tinfoil pan on the on the porch, a little card, and I brought it in. And it was a neighbor at the very end of my street. And she said, I was out of town when when Chan's funeral was held, I didn't get to s- say anything to you. I think of you all the time. Here's some, I baked these for you. So I can remember coming up the, st- I remember it. Like sometimes the way you record a tra- trauma, I remember that gift of love.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that amazing?
1: Mm-hmm. That it's
0: something so simple, something that maybe someone thinks is insignificant. And it's something that sticks with that person for, for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. It, I'll be it doesn't have, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be something that's extravagant. So you were recently recognized with the Lost Survivor Award. Congratulations to you. Um, Thank you. tell me a little bit about that.
1: Oh well, I received a call a couple weeks ago from the American Association of Suicidology that I had received the Survivor of the Year Award. I don't yeah. know what more to
0: say about that. Well, congratulations! I just think that's a wonderful honor, um, and and that's recognition of what you're doing is so needed. I guess maybe that's that 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 is that you know what that call that pull that was pulling you towards this was was so certainly needed, and it, it took a very brave person to say I'm I'm going to do something about this. Um, the kind of support that you are lending to some people that are hurting the worst kind of hurt they could possibly feel in their entire life. You've created a, a community of love and support for them that um, is, is saving, literally saving lives that has to to feel good.
1: Uh, yeah, it does feel, feel good to be doing the work feels very meaningful. I would like to say something. There's a wonderful video on YouTube somewhere about leadership okay. And it shows some cookie guy dancing at a festival, and it's, it's about how one becomes a leader. Mm-hmm. And this cookie guy gets up and dances, and everybody else is sitting at the festival, and he's dancing wildly. And then a second person gets up and dances with him. And then a third. And it, But it took that second person to make that first person a leader. Mm-hmm. And so I get a lot of credit because I'm the figurehead. But there are so many people who have devoted either so much of their time or their resources to make sure that we have what we have, and it just, the Alliance of Hope keeps growing. We do a lot of training with funeral directors. We uh, distribute thousands of brochures every year to first responders so that they can, and and to funeral directors so that they can get, and to support group leaders, so that they can get those (coughs) into the hands of new survivors so there really is just an enormous community of people who've come together and it didn't it didn't i don't want it didn't take a lot to tap into their kindness you know we've taken a stand on our forum i always say there's no spitting on the floor of the forum there's no you know we don't allow swearing we don't allow slander and blame of other people sometimes people do need to talk about that but we don't want to have that on a public forum mm-hmm. um, we if we see people who are suicidal we lend extra support we don't allow people to proselytize or get on there to hawk their books or things like that it really is very closely moderated and looked after by the community and one thing that i realized several years ago is you know people often say it's the club no one wants to to join i'm not going to argue with that and no one wants to join it and it is a club or a community of people who have such enormous hearts and who become so strong and so courageous and unafraid to reach out to other people
0: mm-hmm.
1: who are profoundly broken. So it's a remarkable community of people.
0: I, um, I, I, I can, to a, 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 a club, no one wants to join, but you're so grateful that there are other members who are so, such beautiful people.
1: <laughs> beautiful people. Right. Yeah.
0: And that's how we help each other. We help each other through. You know, we, we pick up each other and we show them the way to the light to see the sun shining again. So let me ask you some of these questions I think might be, you know, I, I, I'm even having a difficult time having the conversation. And that's what I write wrote the book on is having these uncomfortable <laughs> conversations. And so I want to try to learn as much as I can. But is so... I'm asking questions just out of wanting to know the answer, if you can, if you can supply that answer, but (laughs) are there a lot of people who are left behind who, who cannot get over the feelings of possibly being responsible or blaming themselves for their loved ones suicide?
1: There are a lot of people. I mean, that's a common thing to feel, especially in the beginning. The could have, would have, should have. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have done this if only right. I would have. Um, second guessing. Um, I think that tends to lessen over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the beginning, it could be it's stifling for many people.
0: I should have recognized the signs. I should, have, you know, that yes. all of that. I, I would imagine, um, and and then maybe even people placing blames on other blame on others for. Yes.
1: If I can go back for one minute about recognizing the signs, on the Alliance of Hope website, there's a really good article essay. Um, I wrote it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, of course, it's wonderful. <laughs>
1: But but it contains quotes from so many other people, and that's what makes it really good. But last September, you know, what we realized was that this idea, the messaging around suicide prevention has been look for the signs. But so many times there are no signs, or the signs are something that is evident in hindsight. And... uh, you know, or people saw signs and they tried to do everything they could, but it didn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. So one of the raw places for suicide loss survivors is this whole messaging of signs. And what began what we began to realize was how upsetting it is for many, many people, especially during September Suicide Prevention Month, to see, uh, look for the signs, suicide is preventable, suicide is 100% preventable. You know, here are the signs, and in this essay, you'll see the quotes from many survivors. We changed our messaging, and it went viral to, I think, over 800,000 people on Facebook. We changed our messaging to suicide is complicated, to really acknowledge the experience that suicide loss survivors have had. But it wasn't just a question of their missing
0: the signs there there what there actually are articles written that say suicide is preventable there are That's... signs
1: all over the place on websites and there are a few years ago there were a lot of signs that it was 100 percent preventable i've seen psychiatrists come on representing that as well so i think i think it's important to be clear about the messaging um usa today also had a really interesting article last week or the week before. And you can find a link to that on our blog as well, in which the author talked about uh, the lack of training of mental health professionals. So we're told if someone is suicidal, get them to a mental health professional. But there really isn't anything in in the customary graduate school training of mental health professionals on the suicide loss experience also on what to do when somebody is suicidal. It goes to recognize the signs, maybe send them to an emergency room, which can be a very difficult, uh, (laughs) debilitating, further debilitating experience. Mm -hmm. So we don't really have a good way to address the complexity of this. We're looking at this through the Western medical model, like, well, we'll just fix it, like we would fix a broken bone, and it's much more complex than that.
0: Okay. So my next question that's kind of uncomfortable to, to ask, um, because there's always seems to be a curiosity as to um, you know, how it happened, A, and B, um, did they leave a note, did they tell you why? I would imagine there are a lot of people that don't have the answers to that. How difficult is it for those people that don't, that don't have any idea of why this happened? There was no note left behind.
1: Well, even when there's a note, it isn't always a, a rational. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, I think that uh, suicide doesn't happen for one reason. It's, um, you know, it's like a, I have a glass of water here. And if I kept putting drops in, uh-huh. it would eventually come to the top and spill over. Uh So the incidents in one's life tend to be the drops and eventually it spills over. We tend to think that the last drop was the cause, but it's been filling for a long time for a lot of people. Um, A lot of people, you know, it's, it's a very diverse, sometimes you have people with chronic mental illness who have shown signs, sometimes you have somebody who's changing their medication, they've just gone on a medication or off a medication, or they're on, some unusual cocktail of medications and nobody's really looking to see how that impacts certain things. Or they're on other medications for diabetes and blood pressure and their dentist adds Narco for a root canal and suddenly their behavior is very different. Uh, Sometimes it's an incident where there's a breakup of a marriage or somebody adds alcohol and they're already taking anxiety drugs. So there's like so many things that go on that it's really hard to know.
0: So in these last few moments, um, other than the forum, what else does the Alliance of Hope provide?
1: The Alliance of Hope has an informational website for lost survivors and the professionals who serve them. So there's an area for professionals. There's lots of information on our website um, we provide distance consultations through Zoom, Zoom video for people who are unable to find uh, help, uh, mm-hmm. uh, mental health support in their own area. Um, we, there are support group directories. There is a bookstore with books, especially for different uh, ages and populations of survivors, parents and children and teens and things like that. Losing a spouse, losing a child, that kind of thing. Um, we have our community forum, which is really the heart of the Alliance of Hope. We also have uh, sections, we have a section called the Survivor Experience, which is very deep with information. It talks about some of the most commonly felt experiences that survivors feel, and then it digs down because we have. So much beautiful writing that has occurred over the years from people on our forum about various experiences. So when we created our website, we tried to create it as if somebody was at the very best of a support group. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you go to support group two hours and and there's that 10 minute section that really is rich. Mm -hmm. So we tried to take the richest content from our forum with the permission of the member and post that under various categories. There's also an area that was specially written for us by Elizabeth Harper-Neild. And she wrote a book that was distributed by the Red Cross after 9-11 to thousands and thousands of people. It's a classic in grief, it's uh, Seven Choices, Finding Daylight Mm -hmm. After Sudden Loss That uh, Shatters Your Life. And she's also a suicide loss survivor. And she wrote about the seven Phases that people go through. I'm not talking about um, Elizabeth Cooper, (laughs) but phases that help people identify, it kind of normalizes what they're going through, and then they'll write about what helps during those different phases. That's also on our site. And then lots of stories about people who have gone beyond just surviving inspirational things, and then a blog with many, many, you know probably about a hundred articles on various things.
0: So I would imagine that this is of course a website that is very useful and very helpful for people who are survivors of suicide, um, survivors of of those who they've lost to suicide. Um, Also, if they are in counseling, also if they are in a support group to kind of guide their counselor to to more information to, to be able to help better support them. Mm-hmm. Um, for the general public to try to better understand so we can help support them better. It sounds like it's a very comprehensive, uh, a very comprehensive place uh, to go for for help and for care.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're always building it. I, I bet our web developer told us, you know, we were until uh, about a year and a half ago, we had the original website that I created for my kitchen island, which wasn't even mobile friendly. Uh And so we were very lucky to have a grant from the Funeral Service Foundation to build a new mobile friendly website. So we launched that about a year and a half ago. And I was told a couple months ago that over 1200 or other organizations link to our site now. So we have lots of funeral homes and Support group leaders. I don't even know. <laughs> but a lot of people. Yeah, it's a good resource. Very good resource. Um, you know, the internet has changed so much for all of us, where we can just tap in. And I think the the forum, you know, there are lots of people who never join, but they read the forum. And one of the things that people write all the time is, thank you so so much. I don't feel so isolated. And because we have survivors who are much further out in the grief journey, years out, our moderators are 10, 5, 10, 15 years out, they can, they have, um, what do I wanna say? They, uh, They, they can say to a new lost survivor, I've been there, I've been where you are, I promise you this pain will diminish, you'll take ground inch by inch but I got through it, you can get through it. We're here, you're not alone. That's and what you so need to hear. They have validity yes. in the listening of the person who's just lost somebody.
0: So you said that there are some common things that that people say, explain feelings that they have. Can you go over a couple of those common things?
1: Mm-hmm. On our website, we call them common difficulties <laughs> of lost survivors. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, You know, this is a traumatic loss. It contains components of PTSD. It's a traumatic grief. And so people will have very, very powerful emotions. In the beginning, uh, your serotonin plunges, your body's on fight or flight. Uh, We're not in control of our thoughts. Our cortex begins to think obsessively, trying to make sense of what's happened. We wake up into it. We go to sleep into it. Uh, So there's obsessive thoughts, there's profound depression and despair bordering on suicidal ideation. It's not uncommon for people to have thoughts of suicide, doesn't mean they're going to act on Mm -hmm. it. Uh, That's one thing that I found when I was leading in-person support groups that nobody was really sharing. And then one day I asked about it and about two-thirds of the group raised their hand. So people were embarrassed to share that they were having those thoughts. Um, Anxiety. We have lots and lots of suicide loss survivors who go to their general practitioner and get prescriptions for Xanax or Mm -hmm. Ativan. And that can complicate things, but profound anxiety. Um, We have anger a lot of anger at people, a lot of guilt, um, a lot of secondary wounds, uh, where the people or the organizations that we think will support us. Aren't there for
0: us?
1: (laughs) Not only aren't supportive, they might say or do something that makes our grief harder. Like, well, didn't you know he was suicidal? Or, well, you have two other children.
0: And I'm sure religious philosophies too.
1: Uh, I, I think, think that so. hopefully it's, that's
0: changing. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think it's changing more than when we launched it a dozen years ago. I don't see it as often because we've become more public in it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: but yes, I mean, I, I we've encountered that. We've encountered that.
0: And so there's stigma attached to it sometimes too.
1: Mm-hmm. Or somebody will say, "Oh boy, that was a really selfish thing to do." <sighs> There's just a lack of understanding right. of that someone got to a point where they weren't in their right mind or they they just weren't themselves. Or there were medications that reduced the the gap between when one has a thought about suicide and one actually takes action. Uh, you know, there are just so many variables involved in this. It can't it I don't think you can simplify it out to one.
0: Right. Right.
1: Gene or chromosome, or something like that.
0: Well, I thank you for spending time with me today, Ronnie. Um, I, I think that what you shared is so enlightening. I think that it's so hopeful and so helpful. I think that this is a great place for people to go who have lost someone that they love so they can get the support. But I also think that you have provided a place for people to get a better understanding. Start reading the articles, go there, try to understand what this is so that if this has happened to someone that you know, someone that you've gone to work with, someone that you go to church with, someone who goes to school with your your children that at least you can have a better understanding of what this is all about. There's, th- it might be a one-stop shop, but there's no one answer as to why this would happen. And I think maybe that's what people will find out is that it's as individual as people are. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I really want to acknowledge you, Sherry. We, I think we met at the funeral directors. Right. Convention. Yeah. And, what you're doing, you're bring, You're doing exactly the same thing. You're bringing information and you're bringing hope to people. And you had, you know, horrible losses, very personal losses. But you found a way to make meaning of, of that. And I think that's, in the end, you know, life will give us losses of one kind or another right. kind. Mm-hmm. Day after day, we grow older. There's always going to be some loss, some harder than others. But it's, I, I just think there's always an opportunity to look at who can we be in the, in the face of it. Not always easy. No. How can we be in the face of our own fear, our own sadness? How do we continue to move forward and then hopefully make a difference?
0: Right. Hold hands and get each other, each other through while shining the light to help others, right?
1: <laughs> we all need each other. We really need each
0: other. So give us your website, and I'm going to put the link also in the show notes.
1: Okay. The website is allianceofhope.org.: Okay
0: Lonnie, and yes.
1: allianceofhope.org, and that's the homepage of our website. Our forum is actually uh, accessible from the website. You'll see go to the forum up in the top corner of the, of the mm-hmm. website.
0: It's a beautiful website. I did get to go on it, and, and it's and it's very easy to follow. And um, it's just so easy to, to find the help that you need. So thank you very much for spending time with us today. It has been a joy and an honor to speak with you. And I love the work that you're doing and the award that you're, you're being presented with is so well-deserved.
1: Congratulations
0: you. to you. And thank you again, Ronnie. Appreciate thank it. You.
1: Bye, Sherry. It was nice talking to you. Bye-bye.
0: I'm Sherry Dunlevy, and you've been listening to the Grief Anonymous podcast. For more information on today's guest, the Grief Anonymous program, or the Grief Resource Network, go to griefanonymous.com or griefresourcenetwork.com. For more information on my book, workshops, or talks, go to sherrydunlevy.com. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening.